This is NiceAce Now, your source for real-time and on-demand professional learning designed specifically with the independent school educator in mind. A podcast of interviews, seminars, and conference talks to listen to whenever and wherever you like. Brought to you by the New York State Association of Independent Schools. I'm George Swain. Hello, Derek. Thank you so much for sitting with us. I'm sitting with Derek Kayongo of the Global Soap Project and uh, really, really enjoyed listening to you speak uh, with the Institutional Advancement Conference uh, folks this morning um, about your project. Uh, and I was very inspired by your story. And um, in particular, I was thinking about how you took this idea to recycle soap uh, and put it into the hands of people who needed it. It seemed like an incredibly elegant solution to a, problic, a problem of pretty epic scale. Mm. And, um, you know, but in many ways based on your own perspective as an immigrant, um, as someone who had grown up in a different part of the world and come to America and observed this unbelievable waste that was taking place in, in hotels around, uh, around the world. And I wonder, as the parent of teenagers, you know, I've sometimes heard that immigrant parents and children who are second generation children in, a, in this country mm -hmm. see things differently. Mm -hmm. I wonder if in your own home, you and your children look at the world differently. Are there things that, that you look at and your kids look at and you say, oh my gosh, we, do we live in the same family? You know, it's very interesting. Um, I'm, an, uh, I'm an African father of American children. <laughs> so that's very, very interesting, but there's still, this influence that we've given them, <clears throat> for them to understand the world as, as, as a big place. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we always talk about uh, is food. They see us preparing African food and they're like, what is that? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I usually tease them and say, that's zebra, Kevin. <laughs> 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 and so we laugh about it. And, uh, but out of that conversation comes the issue of food and hunger and the fact that there are a lot of people around the world that don't have enough to eat. And that, that particular discussion then lands them in a place where they start to think about ways in which they can work to fight hunger around the world. So what I try to do as a parent, as an American parent now of American kids with an African tint to me, is to take everything, everything, every experience that I have and use it to impregnate them with ideas that are solutions. That's how this country was built. I think without that particular expression, I will give you an American child who is not fully informed. So I think our role as parents, as individuals, is to show our kids why they're important to society and how they can bring that particular value to this. I say that with emotion uh, because kids today are struggling with connecting to the culture and bringing value to the culture. They have drug issues, they have poor education, they have all these things. And we have to teach them. And the, the teaching begins at home. We are, as parents, the ones that they first connect with. Not the teacher at school, the parents. And so I'm trying to teach Kevin and Lauren how to be good citizens and to understand how to connect to the other. There's a Japanese-American, there's an Italian-American, there's an Ethiopian-American. We're all Americans. 
that value system is what's going to keep this country going. So when they hear it from an African parent who is a new immigrant, they find a lot of value in it. So that's what I'm trying to do with them, is to use my passion, my emotion, which is now coming out very strongly, uh, to, to tell everybody I'm raising a great American child who understands the other. Mm. That's wonderful. Um, one of the things I loved about your talk and about your project is mm -hmm. its elegance and its simplicity because um, there are a lot of very complicated problems in the world. But when you hear that 800 million bars of soap are thrown away yes. on a daily basis yes. and there are people who are dying in this world because they don't have clean soap. They yeah. don't have uh, the ability to, uh, uh, to clean themselves properly. And there's this real gap. It sounds like uh, I was a middle school principal for many years. And it, there's something about it that strikes me as a middle school solution. That here, you know, kids finding out about yeah. this terrible problem, this terrible waste, well, why don't we just take the soap and give it to the people who need it? Um, yet most people don't solve problems that way. It seems like there are too many complications that get in the way. So can you talk a little bit about how you are able with your foundation, your organization, and, and uh, the work that you've done to make the connection between this terrible waste and the need that existed? How did you fight through the red tape and all the reasons why people said it couldn't happen? I first believed in myself. Um, I tell people, first find the passion, live in the passion for a little bit. Convince yourself very quickly that this is really what you want to do. <laughs> because very, you're going to be tested along the way. And if you're not passionate about something and if you don't believe in it, you, you, you wither away. So it starts with yourself and identifying the idea that you really care about. So I did that. Number two, I was very, very clear on who my friends are. I wanted to make sure that I find the right friends who are going to help me through the journey. It wasn't easy to just say, I'm going to start recycling soap and therefore everything fell in place. No, I intentionally made friends that fit into those brackets. So what were the brackets? I had to do a, an understanding of what is it going to take to get the hotels involved? What is it going to take to get transportation and logistics done? What is it going to take to get factory information? Who is going to be the, the funder? All those things led me to the particular friends that I met. So for me, for example, it was Vicky Gordon, uh, a wonderful lady who had been in the hotel industry for about 30 years. And she was a senior vice president at Intercontinental Hotel Group. So she gave me legitimacy and credibility. So I didn't go and make the argument. She went and said, I have seen us through our soap for all these years. I have a young man who's going to tell you how Recycling it would help impact where he's from. Once that introduction was made, George, it was easy. So who carries your message? Once you get the passion, who carries your message? Is it you or is it somebody who brings street cred to the issue? Mm -hmm. Then lastly, I was very, very meticulous at understanding how to recycle soap. It's a science. So it's not enough to have passion. It's not enough to have friends. But what are you bringing to the marketplace? Do you really know what you're doing? Is it quality stuff? Can we all bank on you doing a fantastic job? So I knew my product very well. Because remember, I grew up around a father who made soap. So I knew how to make soap from a, a very young age. And then lastly, really understand your client. <laughs> who is your client? Who's going to be the consumer of that product? Do they actually know 
how you make the product, do they can they connect the product? Once people know about my soap and the recycling soap and the fact that it's given away by uh, Americans and it's made by hands and people who love it, they don't even want to buy <laughs> regular soap. <laughs> they want to use because it, it has hope in it. Mm -hmm. So those are the four things I focused on. You know, you talked a bit about your own children and your role as a parent to those children um, and the hopes that you have for them. What do you think about schools generally? What can American schools, schools of um, K-12 schools, schools uh, teenagers uh, will, will be a part of, what can they do to help children develop the types of problem-solving skills that you think the world needs right now? Well, number one, they can't all be monolithic. Uh, you can tell a problem has a, a, a solution to it that is by monolithic thinkers. And I'm not just talking about color, but same neighborhoods, same uh, friends, same you know, things. That doesn't give you the diversity in thought that you want to see when you're attacking a problem. My board came from all kinds of industry. So teach kids to have diversity in their thinking because diversity helps them understand that there are other people who don't look like them who have a different way of looking at problems and have a different solution to that problem. It's like mathematics. You know, there are many equations to a particular equation, uh, problem. You know, you, some, you, you may use fractions here, you may use division here, but you may end up with the answer too. <laughs> so in the same way, diversity is very important. Number two, I think schools should really, really think about having storytellers like me come and really tell how the world works. It's not enough to teach the kids mathematics and say, okay, now go out. Mathematics doesn't explain everything in the, in, the, in the world. Philosophy does. So does poetry. So does art. So does people like myself who have gone through particular experiences. Because these kids are going to go through certain experiences. Their wealth alone or their education alone or their parents alone are not enough to explain the world. So you've got to have people like myself come in and say, I was a wealthy kid grew up wealthy, then I became a refugee. But how did I fight out of that to be this? Can you still stay with integrity, with passion, and strong, and fight through your bad events to use those events to then craft out a career, to craft out a narrative, a, view, a world viewpoint that expects the best out of everybody? And you be a productive human being. So... That's number two. And then lastly, number three, you know, don't let these kids become antipathetic. Don't let them say, well, you know, it doesn't work, oh, it doesn't get... No. Tell them, yeah, that doesn't work there, but it does work here. And what, that, what I mean by that is that whenever they say the politics is not good, you know, so-and-so is this and that, and they say, oh, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want to vote. I'm not, I don't vote. I, they're, they're all scumbags. Mm -hmm. Remind them of 1965, the voting rights. It took Martin Luther King to die. It took Rosa Parks to sit in the back of the bus and come up in the front. It took very strong individuals to challenge the system to then actually give us what we have right now. So I can vote now, George, because of the 1965 Voting Act. Mm -hmm. Why? Because Americans worked through that problem. We're Americans. We work through every problem. We don't become antipathetic. Excellent. Uh, well, it's no mistake that you were invited here to the uh, Institutional Advancement Conference. I think your message and your ability to get out a message has been quite inspiring. 
Um, and I know that as nonprofit school uh, independent organizations, our member schools are find fundraising to be a very important part yeah. of uh, of maintaining their vision and their programs. Yeah. Um, so, what message do you have for those involved in fundraising at their individual schools? What do you think the best strategy is for uh, those people to get that message out and to be successful as fundraisers? You know, they, they, they have the traditional ways of fundraising, you know, newsletters and, you know, direct marketing and, you know, corporate dinners or whatever. Those are traditional and they, they should still do that. But at some point, they need to sit down and think about new strategies of raising money. And I call those clever approaches, meaning that you look at the marketplace and see what is changing in the marketplace and then developing a narrative for that change. So, for example, you may end up having a child that went to, came from you know, China and went to school in, at your school, and you've never raised money in the Chinese community. That child is your entry point into that community. Don't always look at traditional donors as the only people who can donate. Look through your yearbooks and see who the kids were. That becomes your database. Some of those kids, if you really follow them, can end up being something special. Listen. I'll tell you a story. I, I was working for President Jimmy Carter at one point. Went to do an election monitoring uh, piece in Ethiopia. President Carter brought a young man with his girlfriend. And the young man, he said to me, Derek, uh, meet this young man. Uh, he, he has a small little business that just began and is doing pretty well. It will become a very big business. I said, okay. I asked him, what do you do? He said, I just started a company called Google. Mm -hmm. And it's, you know, it's a small little company. Da, da. I said, okay. What does it do? It's a search engine. I didn't know what a search engine was. <laughs> and I dismissed him. Totally listened to the story and dismissed him. Guess where he is now? <laughs> <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. don't dismiss small stories. Mm. There are small stories lying around in your database mm -hmm. that don't look obvious, but that's where the next big thing is. So we all look at the big money right now because it's visible. It's, you can see it. But there's small money back there that you can't see. That's where I reside. Those small stories end up becoming the biggest stories ever. So be creative, be clever. Uh, is number two, um, I, I use peer peer fundraising all the time. Uh, I think that sometimes we're too obvious. When we say, can I come give you a donor visit? Like, oh, God, he's going to come and ask for money. Mm. But if I send someone and say, look, who are your best friends? And I use your best friends to actually raise money from you to say, hey, Jack, can you talk to George for me for a minute about you know, raising a few money here and there? And Jack comes and says, hey, George, you want to go for, for a regular tea? And you go for, you say, you know, Jack, I talked to Melissa and they really need some help with this. I wonder whether we together can do something for them. <laughs> that is powerful. That is powerful. So we are not training enough peer people, peer-to-peer -peer fundraisers. We're not doing that, and that's where the money is. Excellent. Well, you said something that I, I want to pick up on before about um, working with a board and uh, the trustees in, in your board being a diverse group of people from different backgrounds, different experiences. Could you talk a bit about the role of your board and what your role as a, the executive director of an organization mm -hmm. is with a board of trustees. All of our schools are independent, yeah. nonprofit organizations uh, governed by independent boards. Yeah. What message do you have for the boards of independent schools? What, what do you think is important for governance of small nonprofit organizations today? Number one, 
boards are not traditionally built to do a lot of work. Usually, they are, the way we, we get board members is George has a lot of money, so he should sit on the board. That is a cake. And George eventually will give money, but will not do anything on the board. Nothing. He won't be a contributor of any other thing. Why? Because you brought him on for the wrong reason. You brought him on just for money. So he doesn't connect to the board. He doesn't know who these other people are. He doesn't really care that much. But if you get George to join the board, and you say to George, look, I have a task for you that is going to be your task for the next one year. Just one little task. Your goal is to help me go into the Asian community or into the African community because you are from a Peace Corps. You've been to Kenya before. You've lived in Kenya. There's, we've just done research. There's 100,000 Kenyans in the U.S. who, if they knew that you sat on this board, not only can we bring one of the Kenyan kids to come to the school here, but we can raise money through them. That's going to be your task. That way he, George, who lived in Kenya, is connecting back to his passion of Kenya through finding out about Kenyans. That's an excited board member. They will give you more money than God. Because not only are they giving you money because it's the school they went to and you know, whatever, but you're actually telling them, when you were at this school, you went to Kenya, you remember that, where are your friends? And that becomes a fundraising piece. Bring a board to understand the passion of the school. And where the passion lies, it lies in their passions. So not only do you have a school that has a passion around educating the kids, but you're saying to the board members, each one of them, if you connect to the story of the school through the kids, you'd be surprised. So number two, and conclusion, get them to have one of the kids as part of their story. Mm. Yeah? How many kids would love to know a board member, and the board member can groom that child and can be part of that child's life, that keeps the board member connected to the school. If the kid calls and says, and the kids are fantastic. If a child calls an adult, adults just feel like they have to do something, you know? So if the kid says, hey, Mr. George, how are you? It's, it's Evelyn here. I hope you're doing fine. I just want to remind you, our power to inspire and your dinner is coming up. Please tell, let, let's get, our goal is, my goal is to have like three other people. That would be so cool. Can you help me get three other people? That kid has just done you the biggest favor. That board member will find those three people just like that because he or she wants to impress that kid. Mm. Yeah? Mm. But if you call and say, George, we need three more other people. Mm. Well, you know, I gave you guys last year. Da, da. There's no excitement there. So you have, these schools have the most unbelievable engine of passion in the kids. Use the kids to connect to the board. Have the board work do events with the kids, go out for a soccer game with the kids, go out for a basketball game with the kids. Don't let the board members be in a glass ceiling somewhere without connecting to the kids. That's where I think the fundraising is. That's brilliant. Well, it's clear that mission is something that's very important to you and to your organization mm -hmm. and, uh, and that you operate within that, uh, within that passion. What's next for the Global Soap Project and for you? Well, we've merged with Clean the World. Uh, another entity that also recycles soap. In fact, this hotel we sit in right now recycles soap. I'm so glad to, to know that. Um, but right now, their goal is to have as much impact as possible. We, we are still recruiting more hotels. We have about 5,500 5, hotels. Mm -hmm. But do you know how many hotels are in this country? Mm. 
we have so much work to do. Uh, we, have, we still have a lot of kids who are dying because they don't have clean soap mm -hmm. and water. Um, so our job is to really get all the hotels in the U.S. to think about the value of recycling soap. Don't throw away that soap, please. There are people around the world that can use it. Number two, we want to have programming. Uh, we want to make sure we connect to other organizations like CARE, the UN, you know, uh, to recycle soap, the Clinton uh, Foundation uh, Initiative. These are all entities that can work with us. They all have what we call WASH programs, water, mm -hmm. sanitation, and hygiene programs. Mm -hmm. If they tap into us, then they, they don't need to worry about soap anymore. So partnerships are going to be key. Getting more hotels to join is going to be key. Getting schools like yours to get kids to learn about the story and to connect to the story is going to be key. So there's so much work to do, so much. Well, I have no doubt that you'll be very successful in that journey because yeah. of the great success you've had so far. Thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor to speak with you. Ah, thank you so much. Okay. Thank you for listening to this Nice Ace Now podcast. Production support comes from Andrew Cook. Interview and conference support by Judith Sheridan and Barbara Swanson. Our theme music was composed by Scott Holmes. For additional podcasts as well as information about our conferences and other programming, please visit our website, nysais.org.